0: Studied the form of comics intimately. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know. It's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like the devil, a blind lawyer. You know. We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word "fan" actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic, and there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year round nobody cares basketball year round nobody cares put on a star trek uniform people get a case of the giggles yeah hi somebody told me they make comic books here that's from superman smallville you have been trying that jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade it doesn't work oh it works you guys must read too many comic books or something people do not masturbate in the dc universe that was the biggest load of crap i've ever heard Welcome back to Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing lately is slowly but surely making my way through sort of a retrospective on the Batman storyline called Hush. Now, this may strike some of you as a sort of interesting choice as far as subject matter for me to talk about, in as much as I've been on the record at this point long, loud, and often for not being especially fond of Jeff Loeb's writing. You know? On... really many occasions now, I've taken the occasional potshot at Jeff Loeb and the way that he writes stories and everything, and Guys, it it really does need to be said. I truly don't know where Jeff Loeb's rep, among a lot of fans, comes from. Because I look around and what I see is a guy that I'm not entirely sure even knows how to put together a coherent comic book story, you know? If his work is anything to judge by, or at least some of his most famous work is anything to judge by, I just sort of have to question the guy's core competence. Does that make sense? So... It kind of left me in a weird situation of having to justify why I'm talking about Hush, though. And for those of you who haven't really been paying attention, or perhaps if you haven't heard the previous episodes about Hush, basically what it comes down to is headcanon. Alright? Alright? Everybody has a head canon for all of their favorite characters. I've noticed, you know, and this is especially true, I should say, of characters that have really, really, really long histories. I mean, I'm not sure that canon is even really all that important to a character like Deadpool, but for characters whose whose histories go back four, five, six, or even more decades in some cases. The issue of canon has to become an issue at some point or another, because the simple fact of the matter is nobody has, has read everything, or at least not read everything and retained everything. So it really wouldn't be accurate at all or fair to say that it all happened. You know, it's all equally worthy of canonization, right? Even if you have read everything, which I doubt, but even if you have read everything, I don't think anybody out there argues that every single Batman story that's ever seen publication is worthy of canonization in Batman's larger history. Even if this canonization is, like I say, completely inside of your imagination. You know, there's a, just to kind of give you an example, there's a story. It was reprinted in The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, that, uh, Volume 1, that was published in 1988. There's a story in there called Robin Dies at Dawn, right? And basically, they don't come right out and say so, but basically Batman more or less has PTSD for part of the issue. And anyway, there's some, there's some other shit that's going on with the story. And it's a good story. It's a fun story. I think it's probably one of the better stories of whatever decade it came out. Like, I want to say it, it was actually published in the 50s. And it's actually one of the better stories from the 50s, you know? keeping in mind that, you know, the 50s can be a little bit of a dicey period in Batman's publication history, but whatever. The point is, this is a, a pretty decent little story, I guess by its own merits, right? But, is this really worthy of being canonized in your Batman's head canon? And the question may for some of you that may ne- that may never have occurred to you but the but the answer to that question maybe it doesn't matter or you know what shit maybe the answer is yes maybe that's your definitive batman story maybe you think that that is so crucial to who batman is as a character that your head canon is personally incomplete without it but i think most people would read that storyline and just kind of say eh, meh and so my point in all of this is to say that We all have a headcanon, you know? And being as you never really get the end in comics, it's kind of worthy to, or rather, it's worthwhile to ask, is there a story out there that could serve as the end of the story, you know? And so what I've been calling Hush is Batman's series finale. You know, this is the, I guess, the finale for what I at least consider to be from a canonical standpoint, My Batman. My Batman started off in Frank Miller's Batman Year One, and then the curtain fell on his story, as far as I'm concerned, in Hush. Now, that's not to say that Batman himself ended in some way in Hush. It's not like Batman died or he retired or anything like that. But Hush is a... It's, an, it's a fair to Midland story when you just read it in the broader sweep of all of the Batman stories that have ever been published. But if you read Hush with an eye on, this is Batman's, I've been calling it Batman's series finale. If you read this from the standpoint of being Batman's series finale, you know, the fact that this is, that this story is kind of Batman's greatest hits, is not only, all of a sudden, it's not, really annoying anymore. It doesn't come off quite as fan fiction-y anymore. It sort of comes off as a tribute to everything that this character has been for the last eh, 20-ish, not quite, but close years of his publication history. And this is sort of putting a bow on all of that. you know. And so that's really the way that I've chosen to interpret Hush. And you know what? Damned if that hasn't made the story a little bit more enjoyable for me now, you know, before I just sort of looked at it as Jeff Loeb being Jeff Loeb. It's just this overrated souffle of a story that just doesn't really do anything or go anywhere or achieve something, you know, now, because I'm in my imagination, I'm I'm using this as sort of, you know, Batman's last act. You know, this is his series finale. It's not necessarily the end of his story. But it is a series finale. This is a good moment to say, okay, you know what? Batman, it's been a fun ride, but the stuff that's coming later in your publication history is a bunch of fucking bullshit that I don't want to have anything to do with. You know, like the idea of Damian Wayne. I've just never been cool with the idea of Damian Wayne as a character. This idea that Jason Todd is back from the dead, I've never liked that. So on and so forth. None of that stuff is a problem with Hush. And so it, again, allows Hush to kind of serve as what I've been saying is Batman's series finale. So if you guys like the stuff that came after Hush and you're just digging it, you know, uh, this whole bit of business in the just in the ensuing years after Hush where Riddler somehow got amnesia and he forgot that, well, the twist in this story, you know, he ends up forgetting about. And batman has a son his name is damian and jason todd came back from the dead and babs isn't in the wheelchair anymore she's active once again as batgirl and there's all this new 52 bullshit that went on for a while and then there was rebirth and then there was all that other stuff if you're into that stuff you know what dude god bless you know good for you but denny o'neill once said that it's not that batman is bad And this was probably sometime in the early to mid 2000s. He said, "It's not that Batman is a bad character or anything like that. It's just that it's evolved beyond my meaning, Denny O'Neil. It's beyond. It's evolved beyond my sensibilities, you know, of who this guy is, you know. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from, at least as far as Batman is concerned. I've got my era of Batman that I really enjoy and just cherish." And the stuff that came after that, it's just not really for me, you know? So, like I say, it's really convenient to view Hush as Batman's series finale. And the reason I'm I'm, I'm taking the time to kind of lay all of this groundwork and give you all of this fucking preamble and all that stuff is basically to kind of cover my ass for later in the story. Because up to this point, I've made a couple of critical notes about Hush, But for the most part, you know, I think I've said largely positive things, you know, a couple of what the fuck moments, don't get me wrong, like Poison Ivy as a rapist and a few other things. But for the most part, I I believe I've said mostly positive things about Hush. That is soon to change. So I don't want, and this is the point, I don't want all of this to come off like I'm some kind of a fucking hater or I'm not giving Jeff Loeb a fair chance, or I'm biased against him, or anything like that. You know, maybe I am biased against him, but guys, can anybody really listen to the episodes I've done up to this point about Hush and say that I've been unfair? Or, for that matter, even really all that harsh? I don't think so. I really don't. Starting here, though, the gloves are going to come off a little bit. So, now, last time... I talked about Batman number six twelve and number um, six thirteen. So, if you're any good at math whatsoever, what that kind of logically requires me to do in this episode is talk about, at least to start with, Batman number six fourteen. Cover date is June of two thousand three. On sale date is April thirtieth of two thousand three. Cover price is two twenty five. Title is The Joke. Writer is Jeff Loeb. Penciler is Jim Lee. Inker is Scott Williams. Letterer is Richard Starkings. Colorist is Alex Sinclair. Editor is Bob Shrek. Story synopsis for the joke is as follows. Batman flies into a rage and begins pummeling the Joker. The Joker keeps muttering the word stop, but Batman isn't listening to him. Harley Quinn tries to sneak up behind him with her signature mallet, but Batman sidesteps the blow, and Harley accidentally smashes the Joker's arm with the hammer. Arm and hammer. Uh. Batman gives Harley a kick to the gut to get her out of the way, and then continues to beat on the Joker. Images of Barbara Gordon, Jason Todd, and Sarah Essen flash through his mind. All victims of the Joker. Catwoman, slowed by the bullet lodged in her shoulder attempts to restrain the Batman with her whip. She recognizes the look in the Dark Knight's eyes and realizes that he plans on killing the Joker. Batman swings Batman swings about, uh, punching Catwoman in her wounded shoulder. The shock from the pain causes her to slump over, but Batman can't stop himself from killing the Joker because he thinks about the idea of Catwoman being Joker's next victim and can't stand the thought of it. As Batman continues kicking the shit out of the Joker, former police commissioner James Gordon shows up behind him. He draws his weapon and fires two warning shots, telling Batman to calm the fuck down and think things through. Gordon is horrified as he realizes Batman already has thought it through. He coaxes Batman away from the Joker, reminding him that he's about to cross a line that can never be forgiven, and that if Batman becomes a killer, Gordon will personally lead the hunt for Batman himself shocked that the only other man who would want the joker dead more than batman himself wants the joker to live batman calms down and the joker keeps repeating that he's innocent from a rooftop high above the man whose face is covered in bandages witnesses the entire event from the shadows while flipping a scarred silver coin in his hand talking to himself he admits that the joker was in fact innocent in the death of tommy elliott to be continued so what did i think well guys i guess to start with the cover on this again it's not good and it's not bad it's just true that this does some this does find some literal fulfillment in the story it's basically a close up image of the joker upside down and you can see batman's hands wrapped around the guy's throat and he's all beat up and chewed up and bloody looks like he's got some broken teeth excuse me guys i'm still a little bit stopped up here he's got some some broken off teeth and basically the joker's in uh, pretty bad shape all things considered and so, this is, I, I, I think the intent here is that this is a little bit of a shocking cover because it's clearly Batman who's throttling the life out of the Joker. So, for those of you who are emotionally invested in in Batman, for whatever reason, allowing the Joker to live, well, this would be a shocking image for you, I suppose. So anyway, to get into the issue proper, and it's kind of funny how when you really start thinking about it, not all that much really happens in this issue, but because it's really just one scene. But the issue kicks off with Batman basically rushing the Joker and just beating the shit out of him. Now, as he does so, we see these sort of interstitials and flashbacks and whatnot. There's a... On on page one, there's this sort of... I guess, like, dog's-eye view of the Joker uh, blasting Barbara Gordon right through the stomach, and you can see the bullet coming out of her back from the killing joke. And then, at the bottom of the page, there's... There's a... uh, I guess it's a sort of a flashback or recreation, whatever, of the Joker shooting Sarah Essen in the head and killing her on the spot, which is what happened at the the closing moments of No Man's Land. And as all of this is going on, we see these shots of Batman just beating the piss out of the Joker and then getting into pages two and three more of batman beating the piss out of the joker and again we're seeing this sort of weird grid layout that jim lee has used uh, on many occasions now in in this storyline it basically consists of four panels and so on the far left you've got sort of a long panel on the far right a similarly sized long panel And then in the center, between those two panels, uh, you've got two more panels that are stacked, one on top of the other. The negative space between all of these panels, if you can just sort of picture it in your mind, the negative space between these panels creates a sort of an H symbol. And I've questioned on more than one occasion whether or not Jim Lee is doing that intentionally. You know, H stands for hush. You know, so is that intentional or is it just a coincidence? And so now... The two panels that are in the center of this two-page spread, the one on top is, I guess, a Jason Todd eye view of the Joker swinging a crowbar around. And then the panel on bottom is a recreation of the last panel, or rather the last page from the last issue, Batman number 613, that shows the Joker holding a gun and standing over uh, uh, Tommy Elliott's lifeless body which is ultimately what pushed Batman over the edge like this. This is why he's beating the shit out of the Joker like he is. And so it's pretty evident that basically what Batman is doing is just thinking back on all of the people Bruce himself cares about that the Joker has killed or harmed in some way. And... There's, I mean, this is just one of those things that it kind of defies rational criticism, because really all you're seeing, apart from these flashbacks, is Joker getting punched in the face again and again and again and again. And so there comes a point when, and this is right here on the title page, where Batman isn't punching the Joker in the head anymore. He's actually just got his hands wrapped around the Joker's neck, and he's just throttling the life right out of him. And actually, you know what, I'm going to come back, I've got a lot to say about that, but I'm going to come back i'm gonna i'll circle back to that momentarily uh on the next page the joker says that he's innocent and we see harley quinn sneaking up behind batman and as i say uh or rather or rather as i said in the in the summary harley ends up smashing the joker as opposed to smashing the uh the batman and then batman stops choking the guy and he starts just Uh, Swinging them around and smashing them into stuff, and again he thinks back to uh, Barbara Gordon in full Batgirl gear, and you know his internal monologue. It even it even says that you know he's thinking of Barbara and snapping the Joker's neck becomes that much easier. Then on the next page we see uh, Batman and Batgirl. They're swinging through Gotham City together, and these are man weren't these the glory days? And there's an interesting little moment here where Batman offers a little bit of, I don't know, like color commentary on Babs's job performance. He says, she loved the job, possibly even more than Dick did as Robin, and I indulged her, maybe out of respect for her father. I understood her addiction to seeking out justice. To rid this city of the evil that manifests itself here. Even though she knew the risks. And it just sort of of fades out there. And we see, again, another shot of... Well, I probably shouldn't say that. We see another portrait of the Joker. This time from a different angle. The Joker shooting uh, Babs in the stomach. And then Batman picks up his train of thought. Even though she knew the risk, she cannot give it up. Even without the use of her legs, she's invaluable to me in her role as Oracle. And I tell myself that Barbara would understand what I have to do tonight. And at that moment, Catwoman sneaks up behind Batman and basically tries to stop him from doing, as she says, something that he'll only regret. Now... This is really the first time in the uh, the story, although God knows not the last time, this is really the first time in this issue that I'm going to have to call just complete fucking bullshit. My reading of Selina Kyle, just as a person, and, you know, the things that drive her, the things that make her tick, she wouldn't give a flying fuck up a running squirrel's ass if Batman rubs the Joker out. I truly don't think it would bother her. At all you know, I don't think that she has an opinion about that, and this is not to speak of the very real possibility that, you know what, she may want the Joker dead herself, you know, and I don't know, I mean, whatever happened, happened, and you know, it ends up that, you know, Batman takes the, takes Catwoman out, but before before he does, we get a little bit of a flashback to, first off, the death of Jason Todd, which, at the bottom of this page, it's all in red and it's covered, or well, it's colored all red. But it, it, it the way it's presented here, it, it sort of reminds me of the cover for Batman number. Uh, I think it's Batman number four twenty-seven, but it's basically, it's basically a, a sort of a, a a close-up picture of. Uh, Jason in the middle of the explosion, like right as the bomb is going off. Uh, just a just a real close-up of that, of his face. And that's what this, this panel here sort of reminds me of. It's sort of like a riff on that, except it's monochromatic. Red, like blood, get it? So anyway, then from there we get a flashback to Batman actually finding Jason's body. And this is actually a little bit of a sanitized recreation of that moment because, overall, Jason looks like he's in pretty decent physical shape, you know, apart from the fact that he's fucking dead, but he's actually in pretty decent physical shape, whereas when Batman found him in A Death in the Family, Jason was fucked up. I mean, he he was bleeding from God only knows how many injuries. He'd just been through a fucking explosion and... You know, I mean, he was just a bloody fucking mess, you know, and that's not really what we're seeing here. We're seeing a little bit more of a sanitized version of uh, of that. Minimal scratches, minimal contusions, minimal blood, you know, all that stuff. He's basically just kind of lifeless in Batman's arms, but it's a very sanitized uh, take on that moment. Now, keep in mind during the, during those sort of bloody monochromatic flashbacks, we're seeing, you know, the burns and the blood and, you know, the bruises and all the other injuries and stuff. And so I can't help thinking that these black and white flashbacks of Batman finding Jason's body. This is the way that Batman wants to have remembered that moment. He doesn't want to remember the burns. He doesn't want to remember the blood. He doesn't want to remember, uh, all of the different, um, Uh, contusions and bruises and, uh, injuries and God only knows, uh, the different ways that Jason got fucked up and all of that. He doesn't want to remember that. So on some level, he's kind of scrubbed that from his memory in these black and white portraits. But these, these red flashbacks, this is what in fact actually happened. When you see all of the, just the grit and nastiness of what happened, you know, and, You know, I don't know if that's actually intentional in the art. I don't know if that's the way that Jim Lee actually wants us to think of this. You know, that the black and white portraits are what Batman wants to have remembered, whereas the red portraits are what in fact happened. But, you know, I'm, you know what, fuck it. I honestly don't really have a whole lot of positive stuff to say about this issue. So I guess in the interest of being positive, I'll go ahead and give everybody involved the benefit of the doubt and just say that, yeah, that's probably what they intended me to do. They intended me to see the black and white flashbacks as a sort of scrubbed version of Batman's own memory. Whereas the red portraits, the red flashbacks are the truth. That's what really fucking happened. You know, the blood and the nastiness and all that. That's what really happened. You know, So that's how I choose to view it. So moving right along, Batman punches Catwoman right on uh, her, I guess her bullet perforated arm, her shoulder. She passes out, I guess, from the shock and the pain of it, which I suppose makes sense. And at that moment, Batman has a sort of a hypothetical vision of Catwoman dead at the Joker's hand. And so he flies into a rage once again, and swoops down on the Joker and and basically starts choking the life out of him. And like I say, guys, up to this point, this issue hasn't exactly been the greatest thing in the entire world. Here's where this thing goes completely off the motherfucking deep end, all right? Gordon arrives out of fucking nowhere. He's been nowhere in this story. He was not shown, especially to be anywhere near the opera he's basically deus ex makina pulled out of thin fucking air and here he is basically to talk batman down you know because yeah it sure looks like the joker killed thomas elliott why because i mean why the hell else would the joker even be there with the body? It couldn't be so that we could devote an entire issue to Batman wrestling with whether or not he needs to finally fucking kill the Joker because he totally might do it. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, what I love is for all the horrible fucking bullshit that the Joker's done to established characters in the DCU, it's the apparent murder of Tommy Elliott, this fucking nobody. With no history, we're supposed to believe that's what pushed Batman over the edge. Because Tommy has obviously just meant so fucking much to Batman over the years, even though he never fucking existed in continuity prior to this story. You know, he's got to be avenged because he was so important to Bruce. You know, way more important than Jason, than Barbara Gordon, than Sarah Essen, or any of the zillions of innocents that the Jokers killed over the years. And the thing about this that just really burns my balls is the fact that it's Jim Gordon, of all people. He's the guy who talks Batman down from this just fucking retarded and contrived situation. You know? And on top of all of that, Gordon shows up from fucking nowhere. Nowhere. All right? And then we get this this just fucking retarded little bit of business here where where Gordon he basically tries talking Batman down he says you and I have seen more than our fair share of tragedies and thirsted for revenge if Batman wanted to be a killer he could have started long ago but it's a line on one side we believe in the law on the other dot 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 in the eyes of the law in my eyes, you'll be no different from him. You know, and basically what he says is, you know, sometimes the law fails us. Maybe that's why I've I've understood you, allowed you to help protect the city. Batman, if you cross that line, if you kill the Joker tonight, I'll lead the hunt to bring you to justice. And that is just such, number one, the fact that Gordon just shows up out of fucking nowhere to give... Batman, this preachy, just fucking bullshit, moralistic little speech. It's just fucking retarded. Okay, it's, I wish there was a nice way to say it. There is not. Okay, it is fucking retarded. Okay, but then, the entire nature and tone of Gordon's remarks and just the stupid fucking bullshit that he has to say, it basically makes it sound like Batman is otherwise a morally upstanding and totally legal and totally legit crime fighter and law enforcement officer and he just can't do this you know and the stupid fucking bullshit line that everybody always comes back to is this is the one thing that separates us from them you know and it's interesting to me how rarely it is that people track that out criminals break and enter batman breaks and enters criminals steal. Batman steals. Criminals use disguises and masks to commit their crimes. Batman uses disguises and masks to commit his crimes. By any standard, Batman is a criminal. His actions arguably have positive ramifications on society, that much is true, but he is nevertheless a criminal. And... I find it hard to believe that a man who's experienced what Bruce Wayne has experienced would hesitate to wipe out the Joker, you know? Maybe he wouldn't wipe uh, wipe out bank robbers. Maybe he's not going to kill purse snatchers. But the Joker, yeah, he's going down. And a lot of people want to say that, you know, Batman is not the judge, jury, and executioner. And you know what? That's true. He's just the judge and the jury. He gathers evidence. Where's his warrant? He conducts investigations. Where's his deputization? He conducts interrogations. Where's his internal affairs department? He beats the crap out of people. Where's due process? He coerces confessions. Where are Miranda rights? Literally, the only thing That Batman doesn't do, that criminals do, is kill. You know? And it's just fucking hypocritical to me that Jim Gordon is going to walk out in the alley after how many years, like ten years, of supporting the Batman and allowing him to work in Gotham City and, on top of all of that, see the Batman beating the shit out of the Joker. And apparently, this is okay. It's okay to beat somebody to within an inch of their life. That's fine. But God's sake, man, whatever you do, don't kill him. That would be bad. And it's just fucking stupid. Okay? And look, I realize that the real reason that Batman doesn't kill the Joker is because... DC Comics, they make a mint off the Joker. He's a major corporate property, okay? And the instant Batman kills the Joker, now they have one less uh, marquee villain to work with, okay? And I totally get that. So, isn't it incumbent upon these just fucking retarded writers that maybe what they need to do is show a tiny little bit of restraint... You know, because I mean, at this point, I happen to think that Batman is morally fucking irresponsible for not killing the Joker, you know, and the retort that everybody always wants to fucking come back to is, uh, Batman isn't the Punisher, dude. I've seen this argument for 25 goddamn years now. Okay, And it's like, it's like people can't recognize a middle ground, you know, the Punisher kills criminals. It's as simple as that. And what I at least have advocated for quite some time is that Batman do really more or less what he's done on many occasions in the comics and take life only when absolutely necessary, okay? The Joker has done too much and crossed too many lines. Batman is morally derelict in his duty for not taking him out after a certain point, you know? If the Joker mostly committed crimes you know, like robberies and stuff like that, and only killed people occasionally, maybe I'd have a different opinion. But the Joker's been portrayed as little more than a psychopathic murderer for I don't even know how long now. And among tons of faceless, nameless citizens, he's also killed Sarah Essen. he's killed Jason Todd, who, in my head canon, remains in the grave. I don't care what the comics have to say about the subject. He's paralyzed Babs, and so on and so on and so on. You know, the Joker's just crossed too fucking many lines, all right? Now, just by way of comparison, Bane is a killer, but he doesn't necessarily want to kill. He wants to own Gotham City. And if that means killing somebody, he's willing to do it. And I guess to talk about other, other rogues, say what you want about Two-Face, but his victims... They all had a 50-50 chance. Death was not a foregone conclusion. And it just goes on, you know. Riddler, Poison Ivy, Mr. Freeze, the Penguin. list just goes on, right? I could totally see Batman sparing all of them, you know. That makes a lot of sense to me. And you know what? Even among hardened murderers like Mr. Zazz, where murder is this guy's sole ambition, well... It's not like Zaz escapes from Arkham every month and then goes on yet another rampage. Sparing Zaz makes a lot of sense too, but the Joker is probably the only character in the entire rogues gallery who needs to be stopped permanently. And if that disturbs anybody, you know what, guys? I'm sorry. Take it up with the writers who over the decades have played the Joker doing nastier and nastier things until, honestly, death is probably the only justice that the Joker can even hope for anymore, okay? I don't I don't think that the Batman is out of line in, in wanting to kill the Joker. Now look, here's the thing. The Joker truly is innocent of Tommy's murder, all right? And that's actually kind of a crucial plot point for this story. The Joker truly is innocent, but... That doesn't even matter anymore, you know? Characters that mean a lot more to the reader, the Joker's done a lot more damage to. I mean, I personally could give a flying shit about Tommy fucking Elliot. I just don't care, you know? But Jason Todd, Sarah Essen, Barbara Gordon, I cared about those characters. Batman cared about those characters. Gordon cared about those characters, you know? The Joker has done real, tangible harm. And I'm sorry, guys, there comes a point when somebody is just too fucking dangerous to be left alive, okay? It's not even that hard to get there. Too dangerous. The Joker is there. And there's this moment when Batman... You know, Batman even says... You know, he uh, he, and, he and Gordon are having their little moment together in the alley. And Batman even says... How many more lives are we going to let him ruin? And then Gordon says, I don't care, because I'm not going to let him ruin yours. And that is just fucking retarded. Okay, I mean... Look, first of all, police officers, they have the legal authority to take life, at least in certain circumstances, okay? And if a police officer happens across somebody who's just committed a murder and then the police officer blows that guy's head off. I don't know this to be true, but I'm guessing there aren't very many juries in the world who are going to convict him. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But if I was on a jury and I found out that a police officer watched somebody, by which I mean the Joker, watched somebody uh, kill somebody else... And then shot him. And then he ends up somehow, he's up on on murder charges. I will hang that fucking jury if I have to. But that police officer is going free. You know, because all he did was his job. You know? And it just seems kind of stupid to me that... The one police power that Gordon is not giving to to, to Batman... Is taking life. You know? He'll let Batman violate uh, uh, perps, civil liberties, left, right, and center. He'll let Batman work unsupervised, gather evidence that rightfully belongs to the police, disturb crime scenes, on and on and on and on and on. You know, he'll do all of that stuff, but don't, don't kill anybody because that would be bad. Now, if you want to break somebody's bones blast him senseless with all of your explosive batarangs and all of that kind of stuff hey go right ahead just don't kill him because that would be bad it's just yeah that is fucking retarded you know anyway so the issue ends with oh fuck it i'm gonna i'm just gonna start calling this guy hush because fucking that's who he is with hush he flips a coin announces that the joker really is innocent and then he says as he catches the coin that has the scarred side up, he says, get the joke. And that's where the issue ends. And look, guys, if you just turn your brain off and just try to enjoy Hush as a story, I bet that this this issue isn't so annoying, all right? But when you actually start thinking about stuff, ugh, it's just aggravating. It is fucking aggravating. So anyway... Moving right along to Batman number six hundred and fifteen. Cover date is July of two thousand three. On sale date is May twenty eighth of two thousand three. Cover price is two twenty five. Title is The Dead. Writer is Jeff Loeb. Penciler is Jim Lee. Inker is Scott Williams. Letterer is Richard Starkings. Colorist is Alex Sinclair. Editor is Bob Schreck. Story synopsis for The Dead is as follows. Funeral services are held for Dr. Thomas Elliot, and attending are Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Selina Kyle, Alfred Pennyworth, and Leslie Tompkins. Bruce Wayne speaks during the service and recites one of his favorite poems. Later, Bruce is back in the Batcave, poring over all the evidence associated with Tommy's murder. He deduces that the Joker is in fact innocent and that someone went out of their way to make Batman believe that the Joker was guilty. Nightwing drops by and shows concern over Bruce's well-being. He knows that Bruce has been seeing Selina and encourages him to reveal his secret identity to her. Before long, Oracle radios Batman and Nightwing, informing them that the Riddler has just hijacked an armored car. The two heroes set aside their investigation to quickly nab him. Racing through the streets of Gotham in the Batmobile, they use the vehicle's battering ram to force the armored car off the road. The Riddler tries to flee, but Batman easily nabs him. Investigating the scene for further evidence, Batman's surprised to find ash from the Lazarus pit near the wreckage of the armored car. Sometime later, the mysterious man that I'm just... Uh, the mysterious man who's covered in bandages approaches a Joker's cell and Arkham. He tells Joker that he's his attorney and that he would work to set him out, or rather, to see him set free by way of the law. The Joker wonders who this man is, and he starts removing his bandages and reveals his identity, at least according to the Joker, to be Harvey Dent. His face has been completely healed of the gruesome scarring that earned him the the name Two-Face. At that exact moment, Batman meets with Catwoman at the Gotham City Zoo. Taking her into his confidence, he removes his cowl and reveals that Batman is, in fact, Bruce Wayne. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, there's this kind of neat little... I, I've always been, I'll be honest with you, I've always been rather fond of this cover because I've always liked the idea of Batman working with Nightwing, you know? It's, on the one hand, I mean, there's the emotional content of the original Batman and Robin team being put back together, and I think that means something, just on a visceral level, to a lot of Batman fans. You know, even if your favorite Robin is somebody other than Dick Grayson, and in my case, my favorite Robin is was and will always be tim drake that even if your favorite robin is somebody other than than dick grayson i think there's something about seeing batman and nightwing running around together and doing their thing that it just kind of hits you on some kind of weird fanboy level to where it's almost like you know yeah we're getting the band back together this is fucking awesome and that's basically what we're seeing on the cover here you know it's Batman and and, and Nightwing, and they're scampering across uh, Gotham City rooftops, you know, with the, there are searchlights in the distant background, and in the really distant background, you see these impossibly tall uh, skyscrapers, and you see all those police blimps gliding through the air, and this is just, this, honestly, guys, I'd even go so far as to say, this is basically my favorite version of Gotham City, alongside stuff like, the that kind of uh, just shadowy, cloudy, grimy, noir version of Gotham City that we saw in Tim Burton's first Batman movie, or that claustrophobic gothic nightmare that we saw in Batman Returns, or even that that really bright and shiny Gotham City that we saw in Joel Schumacher's Batman movies. I love that. To me, This Gotham City, those Gotham Cities that, you know, from the movies that I just mentioned, and the Gotham City that we saw in Batman the Animated Series, to me, some kind of weird amalgamation of all of those things, that's what Gotham City needs to look like. You know, it shouldn't be the world outside your front door. It shouldn't look like New York. It needs to be its own sort of thing, you know? And... This this cover that we're seeing here, this basically shows Gotham City the way that I always like seeing it, you know? There's all of this mist and, you know, is it mist or is it fog that's partially swallowing the city and all of this darkness with the gloom and those police searchlights and the police blimps and you've got Batman and Nightwing and they're running around uh, through downtown Gotham. It just looks so fucking awesome. I'd, this is one of my favorite covers of, of this whole run, you know? I dig this cover. This is just, it's just fucking awesome. So, anyway, to get into this story properly, the issue basically kicks off with the, the funeral for Tommy Elliott, and this is when, you know, we're basically supposed to believe that people who, as far as I can tell, have no relationship with Tommy... Decided to attend the funeral anyway. Namely, Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, Selena Kyle, and Leslie Tompkins. Oh, and Alfred, too. Well, Alfred, I could actually see him showing up for the funeral. But these other people, I mean, you know, Selena and Leslie, they only met Tommy once. You know, so is that really enough to justify coming to the guy's funeral? I don't know. Maybe not. As to uh, Dick and Tim... There's no reason to think they ever even met Tommy so much as once. now, yes, I realize it's awfully convenient to the plot to to have them to have them there, I guess to opine or comment upon goings on with the funeral and with the story and whatnot, but <clears throat> that kind of tends to undermine their own presence at the funeral because Tim says Hey, Dick, you ever hear Bruce talk about this guy before? And Dick answers, not much, but he doesn't really talk about his childhood either, Tim. So if Bruce barely even talked about Tommy to either Dick or Tim, it does kind of make you wonder, what the fuck are they even... I mean, is it just me, or is it kind of inappropriate to go to a total stranger's funeral, you know? Like, that's, you just, you don't, you don't do that, you know? You don't go to somebody's funeral unless, like, you knew the guy. And Tim and Dick didn't know the guy. So what the fuck are they doing there? And we never get an answer to that. And honestly, this entire sequence is so retarded that I don't even really want to talk about it. So I'm just going to skip ahead uh, to the Bat Cave. And basically what we're seeing here is Batman working with this sort of 3D holographic Uh, Ballistics report where he's examining the crime scene, and what he discovers is that the ballistic report indicates that the bullet was fired from a nine millimeter Glock, which is to say standard issue among the Gotham City Police Department. And so, from there, the forensic report says that the subject's uh, blood flooded into his lungs, and presumably he drowned in his own blood, pretty much. And so that is the likely cause of death. Now, I want you guys to remember that I said this, because in a couple of episodes, we're going to be coming back to that. So, anyway. So, from there, we we get a scene where Nightwing is in the Batcave alongside Batman. He's exercising and uh, basically doing a little bit of training to keep in shape. And... He basically says, you know, look, what's the big deal? All right, you caught the bad guy. The Joker is back in Arkham for like the 79th time, where maybe we can hold on to him for more than an hour and a half this time. And then Batman, dun-dun-dun, he gives a, a dramatic reveal, if you will. The Joker didn't kill Tommy. Which, needless to say, Nightwing finds that just a little bit surprising so he basically says hey back up you were there and batman says look dude batman basically says that he saw what he was meant to see he heard what he was meant to hear but the reality is the joker is most likely innocent at least of this particular murder and then from there batman has this fucking retarded little guilt trip where we're supposed to believe he would lose a moment's sleep at night, if he were to kill the Joker, and my, my answer to that is, somebody who lost his parents at the age that Bruce Wayne did, the takeaway lesson from that that he probably took was just how cheap human life really is, so there you go, I don't think he would necessarily come out the other side of that with a high value of human life, but fucking whatever, I said my piece on that, so anyway, there is a kind of neat little moment though where Batman uh and Nightwing their little their little bit here their little moment gets interrupted by Oracle so that she can report on goings on with the Riddler and Nightwing says does she listen to everything and Batman's answer to that is you know better than I would and she announces that the Riddler's on the loose he's he's tearing a bunch of shit up and it's it's time to to stop him and shut him down and all of that fun stuff and so we get from there this double-page this double-page splash this kind of glory shot of batman and nightwing racing across the bat cave and basically they're on, they're running towards the batmobile <clears throat> now the thing here is that you know when batman says Let's take the car. <clears throat> Nightwing says, "Great." <clears throat> Which one? And what we're seeing is basically a sea of Batmobiles, and there are really quite a few little, uh, little Easter eggs hidden in here. First, closer. I would I, well, I would say like three quarters of the way from the. T- Three-quarters of the way up the page, like close to the center. We see what looks like the Batmobile from the Tim Burton movies. Right below that, we see the Batmobile from Batman and Robin. <clears throat> below that, the Batman and Robin Batmobile on the right-hand side, you know, on the right page. We see the what looks to be the Batmobile... From the 1966 TV show. Below the Batman and Robin Batmobile on the left side of the page. Basically opposite the 1966 Adam West Batmobile. We see the Batmobile from Batman Forever. Which I don't care what anybody says. I think that Batmobile is fucking awesome. I love that Batmobile. and Actually actually, I'll be honest with you. I love all of the Batmobiles. From the Schumacher and... Uh, burton movies i think those i think all of those batmobiles are awesome and then just in the background and kind of small detail we see other batmobiles that maybe were used at other points in in uh, batman's publication history but we don't really get a good look at really uh, any of them pretty much well i say that you know what one of those batmobiles It looks like it's directly behind the Batman and Robin Batmobile. It looks vaguely like the Batmobile from Batman the Animated Series. So, hmm. Anyway, from there, because it's Jim Lee, we see Batman rocketing up uh, the highway using a completely different Batmobile. One that we didn't really see pictured all that well on the previous Glory Shot splash page. And it's a totally different type of Batmobile. He's roaring up uh, the highway. And then at the bottom of that page, we see this kind of glory shot of Gotham City. And again, it's all kind of, it's a tiny bit hazy and misty and foggy and cloudy. And you see this gigantic fucking full moon in the sky. And you see a couple of police blimps wandering around and, you know, just gliding through the air, cruising around, looking awesome and, you see the Batmobile roaring up now. It looks like it's on a, a freeway. And this is just a, a really neat little moment. I mean, sometimes the 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 writing in this story isn't always there to take care of us, the reader. But man, when it comes to just, you know, badass art, I put Jim Lee up there with just about everybody. I mean, this is just eye candy. Every single page, eye candy. And I just fucking dig it. This is great, you know? It it really, like I say, I mean, I said, I think it was in the first part of this this Hush series that I'm working my way through that Jim Lee is kind of the Michael Bay of comics in that, you know, he's not exactly the guy that you would tell, like, uh Michael Bay. He's not the guy that would do, like, a romantic comedy or some kind of you know heavy duty character driven relationship oriented type of drama you know michael bay basically he's made for the big action movie type stuff you know the big explosions and and car chases and and gunfights and all that kind of stuff you know that's where michael michael bay really shines and that's pretty much where jim lee really really shines too and that's good because you know the character development that we get in this story, some of it I'm not especially fond of. So having the Michael Bay of comics basically direct this story, as it were, I'm okay with that, to tell you the truth. So anyway, as they're roaring uh, through the streets of Gotham City, Nightwing and... Nightwing is basically trying to talk to Batman about Catwoman and basically saying, so, you and Catwoman, huh? I guess what I've been hearing is true. And then he goes on to say that, look, dude, she's good for you, you know? So, it seems like she's making you happy. So, tell her your secret identity, you know? Just get it out there. Tell her your secret identity and lay all your cards on the table. And... Bruce basically says that it's not really any of Nightwing's business, so shut the fuck up. So, anyway, from there we cut to a scene of the Riddler and his thugs, and he's basically saying, he asks them, he says, Well, boys, have you figured out what's got four wheels costs $11 million and flies? And you get the idea that his thugs probably don't give a shit. As long as they get paid, they're fine with him being uh Obsessed with riddles, they're fine with wearing these little question mark shirts that they have to wear, but really, what they want is just to get fucking paid, you know. And and it, and it, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, in the Gotham City criminal underworld, you know, not very many people are really cut out to be a criminal mastermind. So pretty much, if you're gonna, ha- if you, it, if your ambition is to have a life in crime, I guess. The different supervillains and whatnot who operate out of Gotham City—they're sort of like different companies that you can work for. You know, like in the—I guess—in the honest world, you know, you got—you know—we can all work for you know a bunch of different companies, and you know, some of those companies may require that we wear uniforms as a condition of employment. But you know, fuck it, we're willing to to do it, I guess. And the same thing is now true of the Gotham—the Gotham City underworld where there probably aren't very many independent operators. You know, pretty much if you want a shot at, like, the big money, you pretty much have to work for a costume supervillain, which pretty much means you've got to wear some silly little mask, and you have to wear, you may have to wear, like, a stupid little shirt with a question mark on it, or ha-ha-ha written on it, or a penguin symbol, or or just fucking whatever it's going to be, you know? So... I don't know. That's it just it It really is neither here nor there, at least as far as this story is concerned. But uh, well, anyway, so Batman and Nightwing arrive on the scene in the Batmobile. And by the way, actually, you know what? Before I go on, I actually I kind of like this Batmobile because rather than it just being like a modified car, you get the idea that this Batmobile is from the ground up, completely customized and I guess a sort of key issue there is the passenger seat is not positioned beside the driver's seat. It's actually positioned behind the driver's seat. It's sort of like a fighter jet where the pilot sits in the front and then the co-pilot sits in the back. And the difference is they don't have their backs to each other as they do with some with, with some fighter jets. They're They both are facing the same direction, but the... But basically, the Batmobile, it's almost like it's got a canopy where the passenger seat is positioned directly behind the driver's seat. And that's just a kind of interesting way. That's a really original way to do the Batmobile. I kind of like that, you know? So anyway, they activate the battering ram, crash into the armored truck. And then from there, Batman and Nightwing swing into action and... This is another one of those moments where Batman gives us a little bit of color commentary on how he views one of his allies, which is to say, Nightwing in this case. And what he says is, I've learned that Dick isn't like me. He's a performer. He's gifted in that way. Dick was born to be in the center ring. And that, again, is some pretty insightful character observation in as much as what drives somebody to do the stuff that Batman, Nightwing, Robin, um, the Huntress, all of them, what drives somebody to do this? Because even in the DC universe, I mean, this is a pretty fucking extreme type of thing that Nightwing is doing. You know? So how do you get there? You know, what makes that happen? And in the case of Bruce, what it comes down to is he's obsessed. He's not just interested in, he's obsessed with justice, you know, which is fine. But if you're going to give him accomplices and allies and all of these other things, they need to have motivations of their own. And, in the case of Batgirl, what we're basically meant—what we're meant to—to to assume is that it was alternately a fixation with justice, but also a little bit of thrill seeking, on Babs's part. That's what motivated her, as as Batgirl. You know, in the case of Dick. To him, this is a type of performance. You know. And this is something that he's good at. He was raised in a performance type of environment. He's naturally talented at this, you know? And you know what? I buy that, you know? That makes a lot of sense to me. I can I can totally see that, you know? And so here again, what we're seeing is, you know, maybe the the plotting and the story structure and I guess the way that the narrative unfolds, well, It is what it is, and it's not always very good. But at least as far as character, you know, I don't really have very many complaints about characterization, at least up to this point. And so, I don't put a pencil to it. So, anyway, as Nightwing is basically taking out the Riddler's henchmen by himself, you know, single-handedly... What we see is the Riddler <clears throat> making his escape through the Gotham City uh, uh, sewer system, right? And you almost have to wonder, you know, did he have a a path, like an escape plan, set up in case he has to make his escape through the sewers? So, I don't know. The, the narrative never really tells us one way or the other, but it does kind of make you wonder. So, anyway, he makes a run for it through the sewers which are remarkably cavernous and 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 well lit and so he he comes up someplace else out of the sewer and i can only imagine what he has to smell like at this point he's got all of his loot or most of his loot with him and he's just laughing his ass off at at the fact that he finally pulled one over on the batman when the batman shows up on the scene and he says a solid gold garbage truck and that's really the 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 answer to the riddle that that the riddler was asking, you know. Which I forget, but I said it just a minute ago, so fucking scroll back and listen to it. And as he's saying all of this, you know, as all of this stuff is going on, Batman is thinking to himself that the riddler's obsessive need to riddle, to leave riddles as clues would normally confuse batman but lately everything about the riddler has become a kind of it's become kind of routine you know and batman even goes on to say that he'd sort of come he'd half expected the riddler to have retired by now now keep in mind guys throughout every single issue up to this point when batman comes to uh some kind of a meeting of the minds with one of his rogues gallery What has he always said every step of the way? So-and-so is doing this, and that's just not her style, or so-and-so is doing that, and that's just not his style, so on and so forth. And yet, when it comes to the Riddler, everything about the Riddler has become routine. He's calling the Riddler predictable. Let that sink in for just a minute. So I don't actually know the uh, page number for this because God forbid they put page numbers in comics anymore. But there's this moment where Riddler crawls out of the sewer and the first panel, he says, ha. And then in the second panel, he starts just laughing his balls off. And then in the third panel, we see Batman's boot come into frame and the Riddler start stops laughing. And guys, in comics, all right? There are certain rules to laying out a page. And for the most part, these rules are kind of inviolable. You know, there's a way to read comics. The human mind, or at least in in the West, the human mind reads left to right, top to bottom. That's the way comics are structured, or that's the way they should be structured. That's the way prose novels are structured. That's the way newspapers are structured. That's the way magazines are structured. That's the way websites are structured. You know, in the West, we read left to right and then top to bottom. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, here on this page, what we see is Jim Lee. He stacks panels, one on top of the other, but he stacks them on the left side of the page. And so what this basically forces you to do is read top to bottom, and then read left to right. And your mind doesn't want to do that. You know, you're not supposed to stack panels on the left for that very reason. You always stack panels on the right. And if that doesn't work with the layout that you want to do on the page, choose a different fucking layout, dude. All right? But, I mean, it's this is just not the way it's supposed to be. It's just not you know, and I, I don't understand why these, why these comic book artists don't get that. And honestly, I'm surprised that Jim Lee, of all people, made this mistake, because you'd think of all people, Jim Lee would know better, you know? Anyway, so going on from there, Batman examines the wreckage of the armored truck, and he finds trace amounts of ash from the Lazarus pit, And basically that introduces a whole new mystery for all of this. And yet it relates directly to the resolution of this story. So just keep all of that in mind, guys. There was ash from the Lazarus pit, and it was in the Riddler's possession. You need to remember that. So moving on to something else, from there, Batman meets up with Catwoman, and then he unmasks himself as as Bruce Wayne. And Selina knows damn good and well who Bruce really is. And this is definitely a whole new phase in Batman and Catwoman's relationship. Because when you come right down to it, I don't really view this as a relationship between Bruce and Selina. To me, it's a relationship between Batman and Catwoman. And yeah, they know that They now know each other's civilian names, but she is Catwoman, and he is Batman. It doesn't matter if they use plain old regular names for other purposes, that's not who they are. She's Catwoman, he's Batman. It's always going to be that way. Meanwhile, as all of that's going on, a guy in a brown trench coat and wrapped in bandages meets with The Joker says, hey, I'm your attorney, and then he unwraps the bandages from his face and said, and he says, when the Joker calls him Two-Face, he says, sorry, Two-Face is gone. Harvey Dent is back. And I'ma finish the job I set out to do as district attorney when the law was on my side. And that's basically the end of the issue. And you know what? There's a lot more that I could probably say about Harvey Dent as he's presented in this story. But what I realize is, number one, that's really more germane to the next issue and issue, God knows, issues thereafter. And also, this episode is running a bit long as it is. But I will say that, you know just reading this for the first time this really was kind of a punch in the gut because what we're led to believe as we're reading this is that Harvey Dent has been hush all through this story and what we're basically seeing now is hush unmasked and at the same time that all of that's going on I mean guys you can't really overlook the I guess the the nod to The Dark Knight Returns that this is, because you've got Harvey Dent in a brown trench coat. He's got bandages on his face. His face has been surgically restored. It's been surgically repaired. And he's completely bald. So all of that pretty well relates to what we saw in The Dark Knight Returns. And, you know, it's interesting to think that, you know, for as popular and well-regarded as that story is, Jeff Loeb doesn't trade on that in this story as much as you might think, you know? And that's neither good nor bad. It's just true. So anyway, it's a kind of effective moment, at least as far as dramatic cliffhangers are concerned. But I'll have a little bit more to say about this, like, like I say in, in the future. But that, I think, is pretty much it, at least as far as Batman number 614 and number 615 are concerned. And so if you're any good at math whatsoever, what you can pretty well figure is that next week what I'm going to be doing is talking about Batman number 616 and Batman number 617. And in all probability what I'm what what I want to try to do is find a way to work the wizard that little special that was put out by Wizard basically work that little wizard one shot hush standalone special work that in to my discussion too but that's going to be that's going to be next week if i can do it that will be next week but anyway so i think that's pretty much it for me this week though so bye everybody i will see you next week which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at Trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental, and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18.